we, um, we started a new series in our teaching called Fresh, uh, which is all about taking a fresh look at some really important spiritual uh, themes. And uh, this week, as Astrid said a few minutes ago, I want to turn our attention to the subject of worship. And in a couple of minutes, I'm going to read to you from the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. Just while I introduce that, if you meant to pick up a Bible on your way in and didn't think about it, now's your opportunity to grab a Bible from one of the two racks over there. Um, The passage I'm going to read was written at a time before the first temple was built, at a time when God's people were worshipping in the tabernacle, which was like a, a great big mobile tent church. Uh, And within the tabernacle, they had a a very ornate and beautiful wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant, which contained reminders to God's people of God's goodness to them over the years and of God's commands to them. And just before this passage was written, they had lost the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured and taken away uh, by an enemy, which was a terrible blow to God's people and, uh, and to the faith of Israel, to the faith of the nation at that time. And then they got it back again. And uh, what I'm going to read to you uh, comes just after they would got the Ark back, as it was being brought back into Jerusalem under the leadership of uh, King David. And I'm going to read to you from 2 Samuel chapter 6 starting halfway through verse 12. Now, I've got a large print one of these, and I'm not 100% sure whether the page numbers are the same, but it's page 310 in mine. Is it the same in the regular print ones? Yep, it is page 310, or obviously, if you're following on your phone, that's going to be different. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. 
There are, there are some things in life that we, we just do, and, and we don't really think about how we do them, because probably it doesn't really matter how we do them. Let me, uh, let me give you an example to try and explain what I mean by that. Take eating. All of us eat. Now, I'm not talking about diet or whether we eat healthily or anything like that. I'm talking about the physical act of eating. We all eat. And with a few very rare exceptions, we don't worry about whether we're any good at it. We just eat. So you might well be sitting there thinking, how long is this going to go on for? How long is he going to keep talking? Because I really want to go home for my lunch. But I doubt very much that any of you are sitting there thinking, I really want to go home for some eat eating practice because I need to work on my technique. It's just something that we do, isn't it? And I, I, I realise it's not a perfect example because if you've got small children, probably about 20 times a day, you say, please don't eat like that. But for, for those of us that aren't small children anymore, once we're past that stage, we, we don't think about it in terms of how good we are at it. Nobody ever says, have you seen Kevin? You should watch him eat. He's really good. And we, we, we just don't think that way about eating, do we? It's, it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's not a skill we develop once we've grown up. It's just an activity that we do. For a long time... I thought worship was like eating. We come to church and we worship God because he likes to be worshipped and it's the right thing to do. And so we sing the songs and we try to think about the words rather than just daydreaming as we sing. And once that's been done, God has been worshipped and we can go home satisfied in a job well done. And for a long time, it never occurred to me that worshipping, worshipping God is actually something we can get better at doing. Something that we can grow in. Something in which God invites us into a, a journey of discovery and wonder and increasing depth. But what I started to become aware of when I was still thinking that worship was just something we do, what I started to become aware of was a gap between what the Bible described and what I was experiencing in church. Psalm 27 says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. There's, there's a depth of desire in those words, isn't there? There's a hunger for more of God. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. There's a sense of delight in God's presence that makes the, the writer of those words want to linger there for as long as they possibly can, isn't there? It had never occurred to me to think of God as beautiful. I knew he was loving. I knew he was powerful. I knew he was holy. I knew he was consubstantial and co-eternal, whatever the heck that means, because I'd sung it in church. But beautiful. 
Nobody had ever taught me to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to enjoy it, to drink in his presence, to get caught up in wonder at who God is. That was, that was something new to me, and I wanted it. And also in the Psalms, Psalm 122 says this, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And do you know what? I bloody well didn't. I went to church because I knew I should, because I believed Jesus was real and because I knew it was the, the right thing to do. But when I woke up on a Sunday morning, I did not rejoice with those who said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. It was much more like church, better had. There, there, wasn't, there wasn't any joy in it. Now, when you read the Bible... The Christian life is a continual process of discovering that there is a gap, or many gaps, between what the Bible says and what you currently experience. That is just part of the normal Christian life, discovering that there are gaps between what the Bible says and what you are currently experiencing. And there's two ways of responding when you find an air gap between your Bible and your life. One of them is to tell yourself, well, the Bible is a bit enthusiastic, isn't it? Unrealistic sometimes. You could probably take that bit with a pinch of salt. And sadly, some Christians do exactly that, and they end up with very, very thin Bibles. The other response is to embrace the fact that maybe there is something more of God than you have yet known. Maybe there is something more of walking with God than you have yet experienced. And if that's the case, whatever it is, I want it. Don't you? If there's more of God than I know, then I want to experience that. I want to find out. I want to throw myself into it. So, maybe worship isn't an activity like eating that we just do, and it doesn't matter how we do it. What if worship is more like a skill that we can learn? Or a mindset that we can increasingly adopt? Or a journey into God on which we can always take another step. Now, the Bible, the Bible talks about worship in two different ways. I'm only really talking about one of them today. The Bible does talk about worship in the sense of living the whole of our lives to God's glory, and, and that's important too. But today what I'm talking about is worship in the sense of what we do when we specifically honour and praise God, usually together in the way that we do on a Sunday, in the way that King David did when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back. And worship in that sense is what we do when, when we choose to come before God to express to him our love for him. Can I say that again? Worship in that sense is what we do when we choose to come before God to express to him our love for him. 
So it's always God-focused. It's always to God, not just about God. It's, it's directed to him. It's always costly. There's an element of sacrifice involved. It's for God's benefit, not ours. That said, the benefit to us of, of growing in our depth of worship, I think, is immense. But it's, it's for him, it's not for us. And it's always an expression of our love for God. And so I think... I think we can learn a lot about the kind of worship that pleases God if we reflect for a little while on the kind of love that God tells us he wants us to have for him. When Jesus was asked, what's, what's the most important commandment of all? I'm sure you remember what he, uh, what he replied. He quoted a verse from the Old Testament and he said this, the most important commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The different Gospels put them in different orders, but uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And if God wants to be loved with all my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength, then surely my worship should engage my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength. So as we grow and develop as worshippers, if you like, as we get better at worshipping, our worship should increasingly engage our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength. Are you with me so far? I feel like I'm putting one or two people to sleep, but I'm just going to speak louder so you stay with me. I don't think the church in the West has always been very good at emphasising all those different aspects of worship. At least, not emphasising them equally. I think we've sometimes, historically, some church traditions have either unconsciously or sometimes really out loud and explicitly elevated one of those elements above all the others. As though only one of those strands of worship was what real, serious worship consisted of. And what that means is that for those of us that have grown up in the church or who have spent a long time in the church, particularly the church in the West... I think we might have some baggage that we need to throw off in the area of worship. The component which has, I think, generally been overemphasised is worship with our minds. And I've, I've sometimes heard it said, you probably have too, that the best worship songs, with the subtext being the only ones that are really worth singing, the best worship songs are those songs which contain deep theological truths, so they teach us the truths of the faith. And of course, there's some truth in that. Of course there is. Songs which contain wonderful biblical truths about the nature and character of God, they're a great way to worship with our minds. So long as we can understand the words... Because if you don't understand the words of the song you're singing, then your mind isn't worshipping. Your mind's on the beach with its feet up while your body's here making noise. And that's not really worship. At least if it is, it's not worship with your mind. But there are some wonderful, deep, theologically rich songs, both old songs and new songs, that can draw our minds into a place of worship and into the presence of God. And that's a really good start. 
but it's certainly not the whole story. So what does worship look like if it's going to also engage our heart and our soul and our strength? Well, worshipping God with our heart means that our emotions are engaged. Now, does that mean putting on a church grin and feigning joy every Sunday? No, it absolutely does not. Uh, Sometimes you might come to, to church, you might come to worship overflowing with joy. It's just bubbling up inside you. That can happen. Sometimes you might come to worship in the absolute depths of despair. Sometimes you might come to worship God and genuinely all you are feeling is absolutely nothing. Read the book of Psalms and you'll find people coming honestly to God with every kind of emotion known to human beings. Because worshipping with our hearts begins with emotional reality before God. Not pretending to feel something we don't, not pretending or not telling ourselves that there are some emotions that are acceptable to God and some that aren't. It begins with emotional reality before God. And so what that means is that neither tears nor laughter are out of place in church. We can be real before God with what we're feeling. But it goes beyond that because as we dwell in the presence of God, as we express our worship through songs which are designed to evoke an emotional response, not an intellectual response, as some of our songs are, our emotions become engaged in our worship and our worship becomes more emotional. Some of us don't like that. But true worship can be quite messy. True worship can be quite undignified. And if that idea is is an uncomfortable one, you, you might want to ask the Holy Spirit to release you to worship more fully with your heart as well as with your mind. Our souls are a little harder to define, but at a very deep level, the soul is to do with who we are as a person, who we choose to be as a person. It's it's where, if you like, it's where our will comes from, the choices we make. Worshipping with all our soul means recognising that true worship changes us and that part of our worship is allowing ourselves to be changed. Part of our worship is saying yes to God when God says you need to be different from what you are. That's part of the worship of our souls. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I love that description of worship, don't you? We're now going to have a time of contemplating the Lord's glory. What a brilliant description of what worship is all about. Contemplating the Lord's glory. But something happens when God reveals something of his glory to us and we take the time to just sit and gaze and drink it in. And we come away changed. We come away different. When Moses saw the glory of God, he he came away with his face physically glowing. 
Because there's something about the presence of God that transforms us. But there's also, if we're going to change, there's also a choice on our part. Every time God says, I want you to change in some part of your life, there's a choice. And making that choice is our soul's worship. Submitting our will to him and making that choice is our soul's worship. So every time we truly say to God, in this situation, whatever it is that's on our minds, in this situation, not my will be done, but your will be done. Or every time we respond to God to say, I I need your help to change in this part of my life. Won't you help me to change? That's worship with our souls. So actually, putting your hand up at the end of a sermon to say, yes, God, I'm choosing to respond to this, is an act of worship. Of course it is. Coming forward for prayer at the end of a service because you're refusing to walk away from what God is saying to you in that moment, that's an act of worship of your soul. Because true worship is transformative. It leaves us different. And if you long for God to make a difference in your life, then you might want to ask the Holy Spirit to set you free to worship with all of your soul. And our strength, our strength, of course, refers to our our physical being. Worshipping God with all we are means worshipping with our intellect and our emotions and our will and with our bodies, too. And I can hear a few people going, yay, action songs. Uh, Actually, it's not just action songs, although I personally love action songs. I think they're a brilliant thing. I think deep down we already know that worship includes using our bodies because we automatically, those of us who are able, stand when we're going to sing in worship, don't we? Because we know that posture is part of what we're saying to God in our worship. So we kind of, we're already uh, aware of that. I was, uh, I was at a conference years ago where somebody called Jackie Pullinger was leading the worship and she was a, a missionary in a very, very tough part of Hong Kong. And uh, she'd been there for many years and she'd seen God moving in some really amazing ways with, um, with people who had been heroin addicts for years and years, in some cases for decades and decades. And she and her team had started praying for heroin addicts and God worked some miracles, and people that have been on drugs for tens of years came off of drugs like that, because God can do that sort of thing. And she was leading worship at this conference with a group of ex-drug addicts, and at one point during the worship leading, uh, they, they were leading worship like this, and at one point she said, you might be wondering why we're all here with our hands in the air. Well, for most of us at the front here, we've spent years and years using our arms as the place to inject drugs. And God has set us free from that, and now we want to use our arms as part of how we worship God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So standing is just the beginning. David danced. The Psalms talk about us raising our hands. They talk about us kneeling and clapping and bowing down. The Bible talks about falling prostrate before God. Talks about jumping with joy. True worship is unrestrained. It bursts out of us physically as well as vocally. It it moves us. And if that idea feels alien or awkward, 
it might be that you could ask the Holy Spirit to set you free to worship him with all your strength. And I know that I need to do that. I need to be less restrained. I, I remember being at New Wine, it's a Christian conference, years ago. And during one of the worship times, I remember being so overcome with joy in God's presence that I was full on dancing in the aisles. These days, the most I do is a kind of awkward jig, like I've got an itch that I can't quite scratch. I need to, I, I need to be set free. I need to be set free to be a bit less restrained. Now, I'm coming towards a, a finish, and I want to say this next bit, um, I want to say this next bit gently, because it's certainly not my intention to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But I do wonder whether when we talk about these things, we sometimes put just a little bit too much weight on personal preference and diversity. Because we... I think we often say, well, we're all different, aren't we? And some of the things you're talking about, they're just not me. Which, of course, could be true. Ish. But what's also true is that God didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, or all your soul, or all your mind, or all your strength. Pick one, whichever you're comfortable with. Worship is a journey into a deeper and deeper experience of God's presence, and a deeper and deeper submission of our whole selves before him. So, am I suggesting that we should all worship in exactly the same way? No, I'm not. We are all different people. But what I am saying is that for each one of us, there's a next step on the journey as God's Spirit takes us closer and closer to fully worshipping with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. And of course, one more thing, and I'm going to finish with this. There is also, going back to our passage, there's also an enemy to our worship. Now, there's the enemy, but there's another enemy. And the other enemy is best summed up by five words. And those five words are, what will other people think? What will my friends think if I shed some tears in church? What will my wife think if after 50 years together I raise my hand in worship for the first time? She'll probably call an ambulance. What will my small group think if I dance in the aisles or kneel down before God? What will my kids think if I go to the front for prayer? If we let them, those five words, what will other people think? They will limit our worship and they will stunt our spiritual growth. And for Mikkel in the story, they not, those words not only, or that thought, not only hardened her heart, but she did all it, she could to let that thought curtail David's worship too and put a lid on it. Lord, would you set us free from the opinions of others?
Actually, if you're worried about what other people think, you can always do what, what I do, which is just close your eyes as you're worshipping so they can't see you. But may we become, may we become better worshippers this year, less restrained, less embarrassed, more heart, mind, soul and strength given entirely to the worship of our God. Because he deserves it all, doesn't he? He deserves it all. And because worship is not a chore imposed on us by a God who just wants to be adored. It's a gift given to us by a God who knows that there is nothing else in the universe which can satisfy the human soul or bring us joy, like being immersed in the presence of the God who made us. May we all be dissatisfied with anything less than that. Now, I'm aware of the possible manipulation that there is in preaching about responding at the end of sermons and then asking you to respond at the end of a sermon. Um, that, that's mildly passive-aggressive, and I don't want you to feel any pressure at all. But if you would like to say to God that you want to ask his spirit for some help in taking that next step forward, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm standing, not because I'm preaching, but because I'm responding, and I'm going to pray for us. So there is no pressure but if you would like to stand to say to God, yes, I want to take a step forward in my worship, then please stand with me. And let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you, first of all, would you open our eyes to see you more clearly this year? Lord, would you, would you reveal your glory to us? We want to be people who contemplate the Lord's glory. We want to be people who gaze on the beauty of the Lord. We want to be overcome with your majesty. We want to be humbled and silenced before your glory. We want to be surprised again and again and again by the amazingness of your grace and your love. And Lord, would you teach us to worship you with more of who we are? So Holy Spirit, would you, would you free our minds to worship you with our thoughts and with our understanding? Would you, would you teach us to, to think about things that will inspire our praise and our adoration? Would you teach us to reflect on, on your word in the Bible so that that inspires our worship? And Holy Spirit, would you free us in our hearts to worship you with our emotions? Would you bring us to a place of honesty before you, where we can express the reality of whatever we're feeling, whatever it is we're feeling, day by day, week by week, that we can be real with you? But would you also set us free to engage our emotions in an unashamed and unembarrassed way as we worship you together? And Holy Spirit, would you free us to worship you with our souls? To submit our will to your Lordship. When you speak to us, would you make us really quick to respond to you? As you lead us, would you, would you teach us to be people that obey you without hesitating? And Holy Spirit, would you free us, set us free to worship you 
with all our strength. To use every aspect of our being to bring you praise. And so, Lord, we offer you our self-consciousness because we've all got that. We offer you our embarrassment because we all feel that. We offer you our fears of what other people will think because we all suffer from those. Holy Spirit, would you visit us and do a work inside us and make us more like, more like King David who just said, I will celebrate before the Lord. Lord, would you set us free? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.